Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting edition of Wrestling with the Future. I'm Angelo DeCipio, joined, as I am every week, by the happy haberdasher, Dan the Man Sebastiano. Dan, did you miss me? Always. Having to do shows without you it just wasn't the you same. You have a lion-ass face, brother. You're, you're fibbing to me. Hey, man, uh, you know, I, I, am not, I can't interrupt myself, so. You know, <laughs> boy, you, boy, you're going to get, boy, I'm going to tell you something, boy. <laughs> No, it's been a couple of weeks since uh, you and I have been been together. You know, we're doing the show. You, you, uh, right. I will first of all thank you for uh, for holding down the, the home front while uh, while I was absent. Uh, yes, sir. On vacation, I just, I needed some time with the fam, and uh, boy, did we just we rolled the uh, Wildwood, New Jersey, rocked it at night and rolled it in the evening. Figure that, that one fun. out, Daniel. <laughs> oh man, you know how many years it's been since I've been to Wildwood? Oh man, I'm gonna tell you, there's nothing like Wildwood by the sea, baby. <laughs> but we have a, a hell of a guest tonight. I want to get right into introducing. If this man looks familiar to you, well, damn it, he should. He is all over. When when you talk about testosterone, this guy's face is on the bottle. Okay, <laughs> this is uh, Matthew Granahan. Matthew is the king of the self-proclaimed. King of Connecticut. We're going to talk about where that name came from. Matthew is a uh, an ultimate fighter. Uh, a, well, I should say an ultimate fighting aficionado. He is, in fact, a mixed martial artist himself. He is a boxer, a wrestler, a powerlifter, a bodybuilder, actor, a wine connoisseur, a cigar connoisseur. He is the suntan Superman. Holy shit, Matthew, what don't you do, brother? I'll tell you guys, you forgot, you forgot author and adult entertainer, ladies. There you Uh-oh. go. And if we're lucky, he may dance for us later. Dancing <laughs> for you without moving my feet, Angelo. Hey, uh, <laughs> hot man. Matthew, how you doing? First of all, thank you so much for jumping in here last minute. I should tell everyone in the interest of full disclosure, um, if you don't see uh, Katie Lee here tonight, there's a reason. She bowed out at the last minute. We have to reschedule her, and we will at some point. But Matthew was kind enough uh, to uh, to work the phones with me all day today. I mean, like for hours today. Yeah. It was it was a, a learning experience. It was a great experience, and I will do it every day if I have the chance. You've been associated, Matt, with some of the. Uh, some of the most storied pro fighters in MMA history, Stefan Bonner, um, uh, uh, Evan Tanner, uh, oh, God, Rashad Evans, um, uh, Forrest Griffin, holy smokes, uh, Phil Baroni, who was, uh, I should also say, was supposed to be here tonight, but Phil is um, having lunch somewhere um, in New Mexico. <laughs> He's Phil is enjoying uh, a picnic with his friends. But anyway, God bless him. Um, so, Matt, how did uh, how did the world of uh, physical combat come into your life? Uh, you look like such an unassuming guy. Would never figure that you'd ever stepped into a gym in your life. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Angelo, first of all, I want to say thank you. And I want to apologize for a man that uh, you all know is the New York badass, Phil Baroni. But tonight, he's shown himself to be what uh, 
what Stefan Bonner calls him the upstate New York jackass because we just <laughs> spoke to him an hour ago. And he was supposed to be joining me on the show yeah. uh, with you, and uh, he's no show. He's he's full of baloney, that Phil Baroni. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It, it has happened to us before. Dan will attest to that. Indeed. But you know what? We always make it through, and uh, thanks to... Uh, to great guests like yourself, there's never a shortage of stories. I know you got a treasure chest full, so let's get right into it. Um, you're a guy who has seen the inside of a gym clearly uh, a few times. Uh, you're, a, you're a guy who, um, it, you're physical by nature. I go back and I looked at a history, a timeline, and I'll tell you a little bit about it. I looked at a timeline today of the life of Matthew J. Granahan. And, brother, there was never a time that you weren't physical. Uh, you were a, an athlete as a young guy, an athlete as a young man and a young adult. And you are, quite frankly, still a, a consummate athlete, even at this grand old age of, what, 45? <laughs> 40, 40s, late 40s. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you, Angelo, first of all, I want to say, you are lucky to have me on instead of Phil the Baloney Baroni because his ex-wife, Angela, always said that I was a muscular, more handsome version of her husband. And uh, her dreaming of me incessantly is one of the reasons why she left the Baloney Phil Baloney. Uh, but, but yes, indeed, I've always been a very physical man. Uh, started out in... Uh, as a rambunctious youngster, and it was the wrestling mat that helped tame the granimal, as I was known uh, throughout yeah. my my young wrestling career in high school. Had the FCAC consecutive pinning record. My old coach Charles Anderson dubbed me as the human animal himself, the unstoppable granimal. And uh, I can tell you that one of the highlights. Of my life, personally, was the year 2017 when they had invited me back to my hometown. I now dwell down in the deep south, South Kakalaki, but they invited my hometown on the Strong Island Sound, Norwalk, Connecticut, Norwalk High School, to headline an event to raise money for the wrestling match for the new coach, Joe Fernandez. And Dan Severn was on that card. He was on the undercard. I was in the main event. And Dan and I were able to also do a coaching clinic for the new team. But they call that May 9th every year since 2017 in Norwalk, Connecticut. They call that Granimal Day, brother. And that was... Uh, I, you know, I got to tell you, I popped when I heard that name Granimal. I love that. That, that is... That's classic. That is absolutely classic. Granimal, you are certainly the Granimal. Um, anyone who's ever seen, by the way, anyone who's ever seen uh, our friend uh, Hannibal Devin, Devin Nicholson uh, is, is no doubt familiar with uh, Matt Granahan. You are a, a regular face on, uh, on Devin's show. Um, we should talk. To, we should also say that you are the author, a co-author of a book called "Rough and Tumble: The History of American Submission Wrestling." 
And that yes. book, how how old is that book now? It's been in print for a little while now, Matt. Yeah, it's it's been in print. We're at the ten year anniversary of the book. I wrote it with the great world shooto champion uh, Eric Paulson. And the way that that whole story came about, I was training with an old carny who was uh, really a shoot coach for me, but was a legend in pro wrestling, was Billy Wicks. Uh, we affectionately call him Pops, one of my best friends, yes. almost like another father to me. And um, Eric Paulson, who was Brock Lesnar's MMA coach, um, among several others, world champion fighter. Um, I was in California for work in Orange County, and I was training with Eric at CSW, and we got along so well, and he loved my style so much on the mat that he started taking me out for brews and barbecue and kind of picking my brain, you know, uh, asking me my background and so forth. And when he heard about Billy Wicks himself being a catch wrestling aficionado, we started BSing, and we wrote this book, and it took two years to research because i started training out there in 2006 2007 probably took three years for us to research and the book came out in 2010 uh it is uh we feel the definitive history on mma and pro wrestling told through uh, a catch wrestling lens we go back and and we study the history of mitsuyu maeda who trained the gracies and sure and all the, the carnies, we had Red Bastine involved in that book. I that knew Red cool. very well, as a matter of great fact. Guy. Awesome dude. Oh, I, great I guy. In Dallas back in 2007. We, yeah. had, uh, we had the great Frankie Kane, who was another mentor of mine, the great Mephisto. Sure. Uh, I all of uh, Frankie's robes. And that inspired me to start my chic gimmick in the, the pro wrestling world i kind of stumbled into pro you, wrestling you have to you, you have to expand on that matthew is uh, i saw i actually saw and it must be a rare clip but it's on youtube uh <laughs> matt granahan as as the sheik interesting interesting uh, uh, gimmick where did the where did that develop it was it solely from being inspired by mephisto it was a combination of things. It was it was Frankie Kane, the great Mephisto, but it was also my roommate at the time when I lived in Austin, Texas, was uh, Prince of Persia, Kamal Shalarus, who um, at the time we were training and competing together, he hadn't made it to UFC yet. But then he went on and had a great career in WEC and UFC, and um, he taught me some Persian some uh lines in persian some iranian so uh it was kind of a it was kind of a tribute to iron sheik but also the robes that frankie gave me i still have those awesome camel robes wow Uh, he gave me some really nice really nice robes that i had over the years hold on one sec we're gonna plug this sucker back in sure sure enough charge because we're getting a little low on charge I think you got it on the wrong side. One second. Sorry to interrupt, but I saw that coming. And I knew it could be a disaster. So I had Mike grab the... All right. Sorry about that. Yeah. There you so, go. So to kind, of, to, to kind of backtrack a little bit, um, after college, 
actually was in college. I was I was competing and training in judo, and that was back before um, judo became um, had more rules. It was in 2010 where they created the rules uh, where you couldn't uh, attack the legs of your opponent and shoot single and double legs. Um, so wrestlers were dominating judo, and I was training at a place called Akari Judo in um, Danbury, Connecticut. And this was about 1995. And my buddy Dave, who had wrestled for New Fairfield High, he was training uh, with Killer Kowalski at the time. Killer Kowalski had a wrestling school in Connecticut. And um, I said, God, I always wanted to be a pro wrestler. And I never knew how to get into it. So I started training with uh, Killer Kowalski. Well, not with Killer Kowalski. I started uh, working with Dave at the judo club. And working on our matches. And he took me around as his opponent. And this was way back before you had all internet and everybody video in their matches. So we basically (laughs) do the same match and just vary it a little bit. And we did them a lot in New England, Connecticut, Hampshire, Rhode Island, Massachusetts. And that was how I started getting my feet wet in professional wrestling. And then when I moved down south, um, I started that King of Connecticut gimmick which is basically a, a a yankee uh gimmick that makes fun of elvis i don't know if you ever saw the original version it's like the yankee elvis yeah and, yeah uh I talk about how how I, I trained in the gym and elvis died on his turlet and all that that kind of stuff and had some fun with it and yeah. and i and i i started speaking a real annoying yankee excellent with King of Connecticut. And where I got that from was growing up in Connecticut. I grew up in Norwalk, which is a blue collar town, but I was dating a girl from Will and Christy Lindbergh and her dad was very, you know, kind of arrogant. Um, he kind of looked down on me and so forth. And he, and he spoke, it was about teen time. He spoke very <laughs> arrogantly. So I just like embodied that as the King of Connecticut. Yeah. So I, I was out of doing pro wrestling and 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 we talked about this earlier angelo biggest thing is pro wrestling now has become so watered down so politically correct oh my god yeah you can't have fun anymore with it. no you know what matt i'm gonna i want to let dan pick up on that because we've actually had that discussion on the show dan why don't you and, and matthew have that discussion yeah, yeah don't don't even get me started. The um, I know, right? <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it's funny, and I'm curious on your your thoughts on this because we, we've done, I mean, from the territories, and we've looked at modern wrestling versus old school versus even uh, the '90s, even the mid '90s. The the running joke that everybody everybody had the job and all that. I'm wondering what your thought is, given that you know you just went over some of your personas. Where you do you think that a lot of what's hurting modern wrestling was? Back, I'd say early to mid two thousands, when they kind of abandoned the idea of a gimmick. Oh yeah, and, and it became too like inside baseball too. Like I, I'm really old school when it comes to pro wrestling. What what Billy Wicks told me was, he said, "You tell those people that there's not a damn thing you do in that ring that you can't do to every one of them." Fat slobs paying to see you. And he said, and if they question it, you kick their ass and you show them. And that was kind of the mentality that I came from coming into pro wrestling. And my pro wrestling style 
And the reason I've been able to bring a lot of friends from MMA into pro wrestling is my pro wrestling style because of how I started with Dave, who was a, a wrestled at a rival high school, and we were doing judo together. My pro wrestling style is is much more uh, much more realistic, and but also I combine that with over the top entertainment. And I think now you have an unrealistic style and watered down political Ooh. correctness. So it's like the worst of oh, both worlds, right? Oh man! You, you know, um, expand on that a little bit. The uh, <laughs> just just Friday, a couple of days ago, the WWE took a little bit of a black eye on social media with this. I don't even want to say little, storyline. A little black eye. Well, this this storyline they're working on with a a new faction that's clearly Antifa inspired and Black Lives Matter movement. You know, the the, the everybody's wearing the masks oh, and the black, and they're causing the mayhem and all that. Uh, I'm just curious, like every time you see something like that, where they try and uh, I don't even want to say be edgy because it's a joke, yeah. you know, how I mean, what what is you from, from the in, looking from the inside out? Like, what's the mentality behind, you know, I, I won't have a themed wrestler, but I'll try and shoehorn in some political gimmick that doesn't make sense. Yeah, they're totally neutered is the problem. Before he left WWF. I, I knew uh, Jer- Jerry Briscoe really well. Uh, there was a kid that I had coached, uh, Tim Dudley, that was a uh, runner-up nationally in, in, from University of Nebraska that he really was interested in bringing over to pro wrestling. This kid looked like The Rock. He was he was a real handsome, you know, African American black gentleman, and um, he he wasn't didn't end up wasn't really interested. But I knew Jerry really well. I sent a couple guys to his developmental down there in uh, Orlando. Um, and, and I told him, I had candid discussions with him sitting, having a cocktail down there in Florida. And he said, basically we're neutered, you know, we're a publicly traded company. We can't do any of the the fun stuff that we used to do. I mean, God, when when the rebel flag came down from the state house in South Carolina, I went out there in my King of Connecticut gimmick with a giant rebel flag. And I talked about how Nikki Haley had come to my estate and got down on her knees as she did every afternoon on martini time. Except this time, not only did she perform her normal duties, she surrendered this flog to me and I pulled it right out of my backside. And this was a real, you know, redneck crowd in Boiling Springs, South Carolina. Bring them to a riotous level. That's what you've got to do. you got to have fun right. with current events. Professional yeah. wrestling is supposed to be an escape. It could, should That's never be. Said that. How many times have we said it, Dan, that their, their yep. hands are tied, you know, and every time you think that they're going to loosen the grip a little bit. They just tie it. They, they tie the noose a little tighter. Right. It's just, it's craziness. Matthew, let's talk about how you parlayed your wrestling success into mixed martial arts. Now you go from entertaining, uh, and you are quite frankly, a, a, an entertainer. You're a very entertaining guy and very good at what you do. Um, but now you go into this, uh, Real fighting, shoot fighting, uh, mixed martial arts, also entertaining, you know, an element of of showbiz. But, you know, the connections are real uh, and the damage done is real and it hurts a lot. So uh, so how do you make that that transition from 
the fake stuff, let's just call it what it is, from the fake stuff to the real stuff? Well, I was on a severance from my the company I was working for. Uh, I was working for a group of breweries, and I was competing in grappling, uh, and I was out in uh, Austin, Texas, and my roommate was uh, Kamal Shalarus, who uh, was a, a Olympic wrestler for England, and uh, also at that time was competing in professional MMA. And I went on this severance, and I basically had my full pay, my medical. So I had all the time in the world to train. Right. So I st- so I started competing, and I competed in Florida, uh, Alabama, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I had one fight that's not even on my record in Dallas, uh, Dallas, Texas. That was my first fight that Kamal cornered me at. Um, and at the time when I started competing in Florida, it was all professional. There was no amateur. Um, so I, I got a professional status in my second fight. Um, so it was a different world then because it wasn't now it's, it's sort of more advanced than there's, and it's kind of BS because they have all these, these amateur fights and then they want the kids to go out and sell tickets and yeah. you can't fight if you don't <laughs> sell tickets. Um, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that back then. And, um, I was always like a fast pinner in wrestling. So my whole MMA style that I worked with, with Kamal and with Paulson and, uh, with, uh, with Billy Wicks and all my, my coaches was um, to get them on the ground quick. And I, and I really good with cradles. Uh, I had a lot of really good inside cradles and, and you can transition to submissions from there. So at the time, really, they weren't the total, the the fighters weren't the total fighters that they are today. Um, So if I was going to take a fight, like with Josh Rucker's a promoter in Florida, I was careful to take fights against guys that really couldn't defend re- against wrestling. Uh, because one thing that I didn't want to do, and I saw back then too already, was a lot of guys that had the, too much head trauma. And um, even now today, I think from sparring and competing, like I, it takes me 15 minutes sometimes to find my car when I come out of the grocery store. Yeah. And I think that's just from the, the head trauma I've had. But imagine guys that have had an amazing one to me is my good buddy Dan Severn. I mean, he's had over 120, 130 fights and he's yeah. still looted. He's, he's completely with it. Um, so I don't know how he did that, but, but um, he, he did you, it by beating the shit. Out of yeah, yeah, yeah. But he had that, but Dan's the same way. Dan had that safe style. Now the problem. Yeah, that exactly. Exactly. This was a problem that was starting to happen when I was competing, competing and um, and coaching guys because I coached a number of guys um, after I finished competing and uh, I, I coached for Richie Giametto who's up there from Jersey for his Coppel MMA school and I coached for right. main event in Columbia, South Carolina uh, mm-hmm. and I was a grappling coach and as a grappler, as a wrestler, what started to happen was. Promoters just wanted to see guys stand and bang and take the damage. And yeah. they didn't want to see guys who were, who were great grapplers. Um, they definitely didn't want to see guys that they called like lay and pray that were great wrestlers that would win with, with ground and pound. Um, so I think that that was the problem. It, they wanted to become more of a spectator sport in that, in that sense. But people yeah. don't realize, people don't realize how bad, we don't even know now with those little three ounce gloves, how bad the damage is to people's oh my brain. God, yeah. We have mm-hmm. no idea. I mean, because, because let's face it. I mean, no holds barred 
And, and I wrote in uh, the Rough and Tumble book when I competed in, in, in No Holds Barred back in, in the 90s in Connecticut. That was started in the 90s. So you think about it, mm-hmm. it's not even 30 years old as a sport. So we don't know how bad mm-hmm. head trauma is going to be for a lot of these guys. Well, you know, and, and why- Matthew, oh. the interesting thing is that you're talking about, you know, uh, head trauma, but your official record, and I think it's something like maybe uh, like five and one or five and two, something like that. Yeah. It's, it's not like this long, extensive record. No, no. And that was why, I mean, I got in to get out and that was, you know, it was a bucket list thing. Yeah, that's, like, that's what that's what Bonner and I talked about uh, on a, a podcast we run this summer was when I started to talk about my fight record. He said he said it was just a bucket list for him. You know, he just got in to get out, which is what yeah. I did. Really. You know, I got in to get out and then I got into the coaching aspect and I wanted to learn every aspect of the business um, because I got into broadcasting and that was really something I loved. I mean, I've had the yeah. honor of fights with with UFC Hall of Famers like Stefan Bonner, Frankie Edgar, and uh, world boxing champions like Merciless Ray Mercer. Uh, well, and so it's I- interesting that, you, that you're going there, Matthew, because I was going to ask you, having fought pro, you know, in, in five or six fights, I think your official record, I think it was five and one, as I think is what it said. But yeah. did you have, because of that, did you have a, a, a deeper appreciation for coaching? And what oh, yeah. a coach goes through and what, you know, what they have to put into the fight. I, I used to love to, I used to love the coach and corner fights. I got burned out on it. That was mm-hmm. kind of a bucket list thing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I used to love the coach and corner fights. And what I used to love to do is I used to love to watch and help them make corrections because yeah. when you're watching a fight from the sidelines, you can see things that that other people can't see and that was that was a lot of fun for me um but let's face it there wasn't a lot of money in it uh, and you know i yeah. i was at the tail end of my severance and then my severance was over and and i had to go back to work you know and uh, and i still took some cornering jobs you know when i went back when i went back to work but i'll tell you uh, for me everything's been a bucket list stand up that's a great place man that's a yeah. really, really great place to yeah. you know, to to go into the financial aspect. And Dan and I have had this conversation on the show before. The disparity in income between the the, the various disciplines of wrestling, the pro versus amateur, um, the uh, even the men versus the women, the, the disparity in income. Here you are. And it's funny, you go from, you know, entertaining wrestling to real shoot wrestling, and you're being paid, mainly on peanuts, nickels and dimes, really. The but most I the ever guys made, that, yeah, Angela, and the, Angela, when I the most I ever made after paying corner corner men and, and hotels and everything, the most I ever cleared from a fight was six hundred bucks. Oh my god. And, you know, so it's not, That's there's not crazy. a lot of big, and, and, you know, when I signed uh, Kamal to his first UFC contract, he wasn't making that much either. The guys, I figured this out 
And now this is I'm my information's dated because I dealt with UFC and Zufa and the guys I managed years ago before they were bought out by this foreign company. But I figured out on the math that the UFC was actually making money on the fighters. So in other words, if you come in with a group of sponsors, they take money from your sponsors before the fighters ever see it, right? So let's just say, for example, a guy that's that's low to middle end of the card pr- prior to when they did this whole Reebok deal. They you you have let's say you've got three sponsors, right? Mm-hmm. And each sponsor's giving you you know four grand, six grand, uh, three grand, whatever it is. UFC is going to take the majority of that money and leave you with what's left over the peanuts and the amount that they take all the way up the card until you get to co-main event used to always exceed what they paid the fighters. So in other words, they were making money on the fighters. They were never paying anybody. It was a great business model. (laughs) They were never paying anybody all the way up. This goes back a long time, but this was, Back in 2009, 2008, 9, 10, um, I, I went up and down the card when I was managing guys in UFC. And I did the math on the sponsors that I knew. And it got all the way up to Comain to where the UFC was actually paying any money out. So in other, in other words, they were breaking even or profiting on every fight. That's, that's before pay-per-view, gate advertisers their own advertisers anything because they were skimming the money off of the fighters advertisers that's crazy dan yeah. you know make let, sense let me, that it's for me then <laughs> that's crazy let, let, let me ask you something while we're on bouncing back and forth between uh you, you were talking about the ufc and then we talked about pro wrestling one of the better what if scenarios that comes up a lot in conversation was back in the 90s Shane McMahon actually pushed he wanted Vince McMahon to buy the UFC and run it as a like a separate company. I'm curious, being having been involved in both, where do you think the UFC would have gone under uh, McMahon ownership? Man, I would have loved to have seen that, actually, because there's such a parallel already between both of them. They could have had so much fun with that back and forth. I mean. There's no telling really now. It's it's so hard to predict. I, I was telling uh I was telling I'll Angela, tell you. Um, I'll that tell you. He would have fucked it up. That's yeah, what he would have done. He probably would have fucked it up. He I mean, what do you think, up. think? What do you guys think now of of WWE? I mean, it's uh I can't even watch it. Garbage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dan, let's let's be honest. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, a majority of the reason I watch current wrestling is because between the podcast and the writing and all, being being a, a, a commentator in the wrestling business, I, if if I didn't have the, the those positions, I wouldn't be a fan today. Yeah, exactly. How about that, Matt? Yeah, that's sad. That's sad. I mean, and it's it's one of those things where everything. The, everything that made pro wrestling fun and cool and special, sadly, is gone now. You, and can you yeah. put the genie back in the bottle? And that's the question. You know, oh, let, let me let me ask you something else. Uh, I've seen a lot of your interviews, and you've obviously been very outspoken in a lot of topics from your your thoughts on like a uh, uh, dark side of the ring and other aspects. Since you're such a man of gimmicks, 
What do you think about the recent push between some of the indie darlings and now AEW when you get your your Orange Cassidy's, your your uh, Joey Ryan's, where where people whose entire gimmick is wrestling is fake? I, I think it's disgusting, honestly. I I, I think that wrestling is become. I, it's sad, but it's become a bubble and it's become, it, yeah. it's become so niche. And I God, I remember during the attitude era when you had everybody wearing NWO shirts and stone cold shirts, oh you go God, to the mall yeah. now or anywhere in the last few years, you never see people wear wrestling shirts or merchandise. Right. I know and if you do, I saw a guy at the gym today wearing the NWO shirt. You still I, see that? I was People actually just for that. That's a rarity, you know, and we talked about that before. You know, we did a, a an entire episode dedicated to what happened to. You know, it's yeah. all gone. I mean, all, all the gimmicks are gone. They're, they're, yep. You can't find a gimmick if you tried. Look for a gimmick in wrestling today. You won't find any. Right. You'll find you know, variations of people's dysfunctional personalities, but you won't find the gimmick. Yeah. You'd be hard-pressed yeah. to find a damn gimmick. And Orange you know, Cassidy, I'll give him credit for one thing. And Joey Ryan, I'll give him credit for absolutely nothing. Because I think he's guy. a piece of shit that doesn't belong in wrestling and should have uh, should have uh, left the business uh, alone a long time ago. Half, half the allegations um, are true. He belongs in jail. At least Orange Cassidy, at least you got to give him this much. He had people talking. You know, if they're talking about you, they're they're looking, they're interested. They, they've noticed something. Dan, we've talked about it before. Good or bad doesn't matter as long as they're talking about you. In the case of Joey Ryan, it's not that they were talking bad. The guy's just a fucking deviant that doesn't belong near a ring. Right. Okay. He's just a fucking deviant. And, and I'll call him out on it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't give a shit. I don't like you, Joey. You got a problem with that? You know where the show is. Hey, you'll get no argument from me. Fuck that guy. Exactly. But Orange Cassidy did something. He had people talking. He was over because they were talking. You know, yeah. and we talked about that before, Matt. You know, the uh, the ability, the skill of getting over. You know how to get guys over. That's what you do now. You manage guys. You get them over, but you get them over on different levels. You on a shoot level. Uh, and on the entertainment level, uh, Stefan Bonner, perfect example. I love this kid. I saw him the first time in the Ultimate Fighter. I thought to myself, this kid's going to be a fucking star. This kid's good. He's quick. He's got a look. He's got a style. He can cut a fucking promo from day one. He could cut a promo. Now... He's able to multitask his talent in the pro wrestling, and he can still kick ass in, in the cage. Talk yeah. to me about a guy like Stefan, about a guy like, like Phil, for example, who I know had some talks with WWE. I don't know I whatever trans. I can tell you that story. I, I can tell you because 
uh, I was managing him, and uh, that goes back to Jerry Briscoe. So he was offered the opportunity to come down. We had it in writing to come down to Orlando. And it was the same story that Hannibal told us. He had the same experience. Jerry gave us the green light. We had it in writing. We had the dates and everything. And then they just pulled the rug out uh, from under us. And and apparently that that particular camp or whatever was canceled. Uh, who knows? But, you know, Phil's a good worker. Uh, Phil's a good worker. He's got some lineage in the business, too. You know, his great uncle was Lou Albano, Captain yeah. Lou Albano. is. Yeah. Uh, so knew. yeah, so I, I I wanted to talk about Bonner and I wanted to kind of bring together the pro wrestling and MMA uh, from a marketing standpoint because yes, when I, when I was managing Stefan Bonner and he was moving into Bellator, I was also a prime marketing consultant for Bellator, and you have to remember that was a time when Spike TV was associated with UFC. UFC built Spike TV and Spike TV's audience goers were going immediately to Spike TV for their MMA. Mm -hmm. So when I worked as a market consultant for them, one of the first things we did was we started putting UFC repeats on Spike TV to create confusion. And so people still thought it was there. Yeah, they were they were moving. They had their deal where they were moving to Fox. And then with Bellator, this was in Bjorn Revy was still there. We moved Bellator in and it was a three man team. And my idea was because I was representing Bonner was let's try to do the Stefan Bonner Forrest Griffin rematch. Now, this was years ago, but it was still years after 2005, which was yeah. there really the, the fight to put. MMA on the map and made it mainstream. Mm -hmm. And Bonner and Griffin and Forrest are really good friends. So Forrest was totally on board for it, but he couldn't get out of his contract with UFC. So right. what we did was we found a guy that Bonner absolutely had legit heat with, that had legit, legit heat back with Bonner. And we signed their fight, Tito Ortiz. And what we did was we brought in uh, one of Tito, Tito's head trainer. His head trainer came in under a mask, if you guys remember, in the Bellator cage. And with Tito, with Tito, you don't really have to do anything because Tito's a hothead. So oh, yeah. we, didn't tell Tito <laughs> that, we didn't even tell Tito that the guy was coming. And when he, he, he peeled his mask off and Tito got legitimately pissed. And then they just took it from there, and there was the pull apart. And I'm really proud of this, and, and Bonner should be too. The only time ever that UFC was defeated head-to-head -head in the ratings by Bellator on, on national television was the, um, the Bonner-Ortiz fight on uh, Spike TV when they were the main event because UFC was on Fox at that time, and they beat them head-to-head -head in the ratings. And it's still, to this day, the only time that Bellator has ever beat UFC head-to-head -head in the ratings. And we use a lot of pro wrestling. I mean, Bonner's promos on that thing were gold. Oh, the my way God. Hold on Tito, you know? Oh, he, I'm going to tell you, with this kick, and he can cut a promo. Yeah. Time. I love to watch him cut a promo. First of all, especially 
Uh, you know, and Dan knows, and we've talked about a, a few guys in wrestling who had legit heat with each other. <laughs> but if you've got legit, straight up shoot heat with somebody, yeah. the promos are gold because it's coming from the heart. Yeah, you can't make that shit up. Here's a question I got for you. I'm talking about, you know, uh, um, uh, submission fighting. Why did Bushido Pride fight? not last longer in this country than it had. It's huge overseas in Japan. Why did Bushido and Pride Fighting not make it here? What happened? I think there was a lot of issues behind the scenes with uh, Yakuza that was, you know, financing them. And um, a lot of people always get them confused with Kazushi Sakuraba, but um, Saki Bara, um, who was the head of Pride? Who's a different, different individual? And uh, and there were some stories there that Phil could tell you where they were they would go into the locker rooms and they would offer American fighters triple their purse to job out to the Japanese, some of the Japanese fighters. So there were some works in there with uh, with Pride uh, back in the day. And I don't know why they, they, you know, that that's that's I think got a lot to do with it. I think had a lot yeah, to do. I with really it. enjoyed it. I I really did. You know, I I was yeah. that was the group that introduced me to people like uh, Boz Rutten, who I think oh, is yeah. a, a hellacious fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, absolutely. The guy's absolutely. got hands that look. His hands are bigger than my head. His pride <laughs> was monster fist. Pride was a lot more fun to watch. I love, and I did this with Mike Caramico's event. He, we, we had a female grappling festival in Miami that I hosted for him that was headlined by uh, UFC superstar Andrea KGB Lee against oh, the rising uh, women's champion, uh, the crazy Andy Wynn. And what I did in that grappling festival is just like Pride, we dimmed the lights and had music, and I called each of the competitors out, you know, Andrea, AGB, Lee, and had the ball come out, you know, individually. And I, and I stole that from pride. Remember how pride used to do that? At- oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Pride was a lot more fun. Pride had a lot more. It really, you know, it's funny that you're talking about that Matthew, because pride almost had, uh, a WWE feel to it. Almost had like yeah. a wrestling feel to it. And, and yeah, there's a guy, even to, you, I got to jump in and ask you this question because sure. I know we trained it. I know we trained at Monster Factory um, with with Larry Sharp. I know you know Larry Sharp. There was a guy that fought in Pride named Giant Silva, the big giant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know talking. To, I think I told you we were going to have Larry on my uh, podcast before he passed away. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Sloan, who's a wrestler down here, was good friends with him and had come out of the Monster Factory. And right. I remember in, in talking to Chuck and Larry that he mentioned that Giant Silva actually trained there at the Monster Factory. He he. See, that was a cool thing about Pride. They had a lot of those freak matches, those freak oh, show yeah. matches. Giant versus you know David and Goliath, yeah, oh, sure, a lot more fun, yeah, yeah. We actually, Matthew, you might be interested. We got a guy coming on. Uh, in fact, this week he's coming on Thursday night. He, they call him the Meadowlands Monster. His name's Lou Bruno, seven foot two, legit. Oh, shit. seven two, legit. 
285, 290, legit. Big boy. Big old boy. Big Jersey boy. Big Italian Jersey boy. You don't see many seven foot two Italians, trust me. No, I'm five no. I'm five three and I'm big, brother. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. That that's freakish. That's freakish size. Ask Dan, he'll tell you I'm like I'm a giant French Alps. He must be from the Italian Alps. Right. I'm telling you, man. I'm like I'm a giant among men at five three for crying yeah. out loud. Jesus. <laughs> Shut up, Daniel. <laughs> No, it's it's. I mean, ahead, look, look, take at, it away. look at no, how many how many vowels are in my last name. I have a cousin that's six five, no, and he's a he's <laughs> towers over the family. Wow. You know, I'm I'm six two, and I'm one of the biggest biggest people with my last name. Mike Michael uh, here is in, is close to seven footer. Uh, the the promoter here, uh, seventy inches. <laughs> no, he's how tall are you, Mike? But he's he's not a he's not a towering inferno. <laughs> you, you know, you you were talking about introducing fighters and and pride. I remember when when the idea, but before we even called it mixed martial arts, when some of that stuff first started coming out, I was a big fan of Pancrase over what was early UFC or what oh, would become yeah. early UFC. Yeah. And I'm curious, since you were talking about announcing and getting everything ready, um, there's a lot of famous calls um catchphrases whatever you want to call them from announcers you know uh, let's get ready to rumble what, whatever you want to look at <laughs> the ufc how through years of everything they've done did did buffer settle on its time is there is, is there a story behind how you get the worst fighting catchphrase ever <laughs> i don't know but he's uh, that is pretty stupid. You know, it's not as good as his brother. I got lots of questions about Bruce Buffer, brother. <laughs> I got lots of questions about Bruce Buffer. Yeah. Go ahead, Matthew. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I mean, he. I, that, that's true because his brother had the best one. You know, let's get ready to run. Yeah. That for crying out loud. I don't know. I think I, I think Bruce Buffer, uh, from the interviews I've heard of him, he had a really good time in the, in the business, I guess. I mean, he, he yeah, certainly his heart, you know, seems, seems like he enjoys himself. Yeah, he made a shitload of money with that. It's time, by the way. You know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. He made a ton of money. Any, anybody. I mean, you got you guys are both from the wrestling business. You know, a catchphrase doesn't have to be good to sell T-shirts. Well, no, but you know what, Dan? And that's that's a good point that, that Matt. That's a good point that Dan makes. It doesn't have to be a great catchphrase. Here's the thing, though. It has to connect during a time frame. Right. During the time that Bruce came up with its time, uh, and then, you know, Michael came up with, you know, let's get ready to rumble, you know, that was at a time when the fight business was in full swing. You had MMA. You had boxing. Who who remembers boxing? I've seen a boxing match in ages. You know, you had... Like I said, MMA, boxing, wrestling. You had bare knuckle fighting, which and people forget about that too. Right, it was around. I love bare knuckle fighting. You now they consider it barbaric. Are you kidding me? What the fuck do you think people used to do before gloves? They used to beat the piss out of each other with their hands. Okay, I got two meat hooks over here. 
you know, a lefty and a righty. So don't start with me, Sebastiano, because I'm not going to fuck you. Well, you, you know, so let, me, you got, let, let me jump in there with you guys, because uh, yes, Rooney, who was supposed to be on here with us, he got screwed uh, a couple of years ago with bare knuckle boxing. He was supposed to, he fought uh, Chris Lieben, and a lot of people thought it was Pearson a worse name. And, oh, uh, man. But the I got to stop you there, Matt. I got to stop you, Matthew, for just a second, because and I'll let you continue the story. Yeah. There's another guy who had talent out the ass. Yeah. But again, and here's another guy. Talk about talent can get you so far, but your mouth can get you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and Kristen Liebman was one of those guys, man. He right. had this kid had some amazing, amazing talent and skill. But he always managed Matthew to say the wrong thing at the wrong fucking time. Why? Didn't well, somebody you know, tell him to ever to shut up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, if you remember Chris Lieben, man, that first Ultimate Fighter, he was the heel of the house. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> he was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but... But back to the bare knuckle, Phil, Phil yeah. never got a dime. Neither did Chris Lieben. That was a scumbag promotion. There's a lot of dirty fight promoters out there in the game. But I can tell oh, you right boy. now, the, the fight promoter I'm with here from MillionaireFightClub.com, Mike Caramico, he is he is on the up and up. He always pays. He overpays. He puts you in the greatest accommodations. That we he had us down at Hotel Redlands down there in Miami for a week and uh, had a, got our food and covered everything. He's he is a gentleman. He is a fine gentleman. And he's but, a gentleman. We're, we're actually going to bring him on the show. He doesn't know it yet, but <laughs> Matthew, we're going to bring him on the show. We got it. We actually have a show coming up in uh, at the end of September. It's already been pre-planned, and I would love to have him jump in on board. We're doing a show strictly on promoters in wrestling and boxing. Yeah. Uh, he would be right there to represent the MMA and wrestling world. I would love to have somebody like Mike jump in on that conversation. Now, now Angelo, so, let me ask you guys this, because you mentioned boxing. What are you guys thinking about Mike Tyson making a comeback? Dan, go ahead. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'll I'll be the first to admit that that if anybody has guilty pleasures, mine's always been boxing. Um, and and I think with honestly, as far as like Mike Tyson making a comeback, it's not. Yes, it's a fight, but it's definitely an exhibition. They've made it clear it's not a full, a full career comeback. Um, but of watching him, the videos he's put up of training. And his recent shift with like workouts and everything. I mean, probably still kicked my ass. So who am I to to tell him he can? I remember people questioning uh, the the second come well for lack of a better term, the second comeback of Evander Holyfield, and he went on to go seven, it was eight and one, and won the WBF title. You know, before he before he had to vacate it again and. Same thing with George Foreman. He won th uh, 30 fights during his second run, including a, a, the oldest to ever win the heavyweight title. Good and, I mean, so, you know, I, yeah, I mean, guy, if he can still go, why not? I think I, I say, uh, you know, if, if it's, it's going to make money, it's not going to be uh, Mayweather, Pacquiao, $100, you know, $100 million pay-per-view. But I, I can think of a handful of people that are going to see it, and I'll probably be one of them. I think 
at, at this particular juncture in time, especially now with sports being, you know, such a, a depressed genre, I think the nostalgia factor alone of Mike Tyson making any kind of comeback in any kind of fight, whether it's an, I don't care if it's an exhibition match. I don't care if it's a signed fight for money. Certainly the days of the hundred million dollar purses are gone. That's the thing of the past. That's not coming back. At least not in the foreseeable future. However, the nostalgia factor alone is going to garner eyeballs to the fight game. Boxing is dying, Matt. It's dying, man. There's no audience left in boxing. They've all gone over to MMA. And believe it or not, that audience is split between MMA and wrestling. Yeah. I think that's me, sad to say, but that's where they went. Let me give you guys... The million-dollar idea for Mike Tyson's comeback. I'm ready. And, all right. So there's a great parallel that can be drawn here between Mike Tyson and Chuck Liddell. Everybody thinks of the Mike Tyson in his early career, all those quick flash knockouts. I was actually in Vegas at his fight against Bruno, uh, and they forget that Mike Tyson had a string of losses in his last fights. Mm-hmm. If you want to go back and watch Tyson's last fight, it was against an Irish fighter that was considered so much considered a tomato can that the folks broadcasting were saying, this one's going to be over. Don't blink. Yeah. Mike ended up getting, <laughs> Mike ended up losing and getting taken out the sixth round. I believe it was. Yeah. yeah. Look at Chuck Liddell. Everybody thinks back to the Chuck Liddell that was dropping everybody. Chuck Liddell's last four or five MMA fights, he was staring up at the lights. Yeah. He was getting KO'd. So it's a good analogy. A great. How about this? I mean, this is a million dollar idea. Talk about bringing in wrestling fans, boxing fans, MMA fans. You have a fight between. Chuck Liddell and Mike Tyson, and you have three rounds, and you, you use a tumbler. You guys know what a tumbler is when you. Oh, God, you, sure. Yeah. One round is going to be boxing. One round is going to be kickboxing. And one round is going to be MMA rules. The intrigue and suspense in that match, because if it's if boxing comes up in round one, everybody's going to think. It's going to be lights out for Liddell. Yeah, right. If MMA comes up first, and the, the, everyone's going to think, there's no way Tyson's going to survive this round. Kickboxing is a mystery because yeah. you, well, you've the got. The thing about the tumbler system, I like where you're going with this because the thing about the tumbler system, and it's been done before, is the tumbler system for fighting is that. You don't know which is going to come up first. They could reach into that tumbler and pull out, you know, um, a submission fighting first. And, you know, then, then, you know, pull out wrestling next and then boxing next, whatever. You know, the, the, the possibilities are, are endless as to what you can do with it. 
you know, as to how how much imagination do you have? You know, you really, can, you can go crazy guy, with that. I love that, Matthew. That's that's beautiful. Here's the other aspect of it from a marketing perspective: those two guys are superstars from the pinnacle of both sports. Mike Tyson was the biggest straw pay per view. Chuck Liddell was at the point where UFC was on fire. It was new. It was vibrant. You put those two guys in there. I mean, I, I think you 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 break some records. Yeah. For, uh, box oh, office. Time. Yeah. If at the very least you're going to attract an audience that may never have been, um, uh, you know, exposed to that genre of fighting before you may you may have wrestling fans who realize hey you know what there's something here that besides wrestling that pretty fucking cool i like this you wrestling know? fans are going to get that because wrestling fans are so bored now right oh god stuff. yeah they're looking for something they're looking for anything dan pick up on that point <laughs> you know i i i could see something like that um i, I think it's it's fun to think of i mean at this point it it goes to what we talked about last week was getting i mean throw anything at the wall and see what sticks i mean fans yeah. are so deprived for content even current sports the the baseball and hockey that are running it's it's not and i'm a huge hockey fan it's not quite the same because Dan, let me even, interrupt even, you a minute share with matthew because it's, it's so not like me to interrupt you. Yeah, right. But shut up. <laughs> but share with Matthew the conversation that you had with the well, former WWE star Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Share yeah, that. We, we, we had talked about uh, the same thing. We talked about, like, g- uh, getting anything to work and what's going to work. And the, the point that the, the, the three of us that were talking kind of ended up with was – it, like uh, he had mentioned, you know, the, the cardboard cutouts in the audience and how it's just not it's not the same. Even watching it, there's no crowd reaction. There's no the the excite even even the sport itself being fun. The excitement's gone. It's the same thing with wrestling and the empty arenas. And now they've got the token crowd and the noises there. I'm oh, hang on, Angelo's Angelo's gonna gonna break character and interrupt me again. Go ahead. No, I'm not. Oh, you look like you were trying to say something. No, I'm agreeing with you. But, Why um, would you think I'm going to interrupt you? Here's the thing, Matthew. Here's the th- And I think you'll agree with this. As strange as this sounds, I think you'll agree with this. You can have an MMA fight and not have an audience and still have a decent fight, a great fight. You can have a boxing match. And, and without an audience and still have a great boxing match. Mm-hmm. But in order to have a successful wrestling match, a professional wrestling match, you have to have an audience because it's interactive for that right. audience. It's not interactive for an MMA fight because those people aren't involved in that fight. Well, it, it goes to the way, if I can interject, it goes to the way they're broadcast. You know, wrestling has always, even back in the days of early early TV territory, it's always been the crowd interaction has been part of the broadcast. 
once the True. lights are up and and the, the boxing match starts, once the cage match starts, you know, maybe UFC has, has kind of tried to get some of that wrestling crowd interaction. But as far as boxing goes, the lights are up. You, half the time, you can't even tell there's a crowd except for a couple crowd. people in the yeah. front row. You know, it, it's always been a focus on the fighters. Sport, yeah. Modern sports has been a focus on the crowd. And when the crowd's gone, the, the it just doesn't feel the same. You got, now, you Dan, guys, you're, you're a little ultimate. younger, Dan. Matt, Matthew, um, you're probably old enough to remember this. So let me, here's the, it's an interesting thing that's happening. You know, Dan mentioned a moment ago the cardboard cutouts, right? That they're yeah. using for, for audiences. Yeah. I'm 60 years old. Okay. I'm 62. Here's the thing I remember a time growing up when there were, Eight to ten people around the ring in a studio, and yeah. they would paint. And I can't make this shit yeah. up. You you know where I'm going with it, Matt? Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, you know, also, that beyond that, too, two things. Most pop, one of the most popular shows, and professional wrestling history, was on WTBS. Their studio show. You couldn't even see the crowd. You could only see I the first know. one, <laughs> and then. And then the other the other thing too is we talked about this before the Ultimate Fighter reality series which put UFC on the map exactly those, those fights on every episode were done with no crowd it was only the coaches and and one aspect of when you watch an MMA fight and you and there's no crowd you can actually hear the coaches yelling instructions at their fighters yeah. It's kind of cool, you know. It's kind of it different. It really is. It's and it's a different dynamic. Dan, I'm sorry that, that I interrupted you. Go ahead. I I refrain my time back to you. <laughs> I'm going to steal a quote from. Go ahead. Before, before you do, I'm going to steal a quote from from Stephen Bonner in another show that we were on over the summer, where we talked about we're talking about the empty crowds of pro wrestling. In his quote, I believe he said, "The difference between wrestling in front of." A, of a crowd that you're working off of and wrestling in an empty building is the difference between making love to a gorgeous woman at the Sheridan and beating off in the corner. <laughs> I believe that was his quote. Okay. Then. Oh man. I love it. <laughs> well, Dan, go ahead. If, brother. <laughs> if we can, if we can transition slightly off that, that wonderful <laughs> bit of, uh, uh, but, you know, there, there's Stefan Bonner, another I another type Bonner. of <laughs> a, another type of broadcast that doesn't really have an audience. And and Angelo, bear with me. I'm not, I'm not tangenting here. I'm uh, with another you, type I'm of broadcast you. that doesn't have really have an audience is cooking shows. And I'm genuinely curious, Matthew, um, your your cookbook. How does how did you get involved in that? Because all this talk about, you know. Well, you were just making a meat joke, but uh, we transitioned there. Uh, I'm curious if you could go into that. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, from exactly. the meats, from the from the from the meat to the to the grilled meats. Yes, I I've always I've always had a passion for the culinary arts for cooking, and uh, I was doing my podcast. And I'll tell you how that 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 all started. I was doing my podcast with Brian Snow, and it was Keys. Uh, a heavier gentleman, and uh, he's open about wanting to lose weight. He's the, the golden voice of Chicago. He hosts a morning show in Chicago and calls the Cup games and all. He's got a big booming voice. But 
big guy, big black guy, 350 pounds or whatever. And he wanted to lose weight. So we started talking on the show because I said to him, man, I can give you some recipes that are healthy and I'll help you trim down big man. And so I started putting him on my diet, gave him some great recipes. And on the show, I said, you know what? We're getting some steam here. I want to do a cookbook. And that's when I decided to do Cooking with the King because I've I've always liked to cook like you gentlemen, although I am a quarter Irish. I am of uh, Italian descent. Uh, my grandparents were uh, Sicilian on my mother's side. And uh, I grew up loving to cook and uh, loving to eat and now oh, wanting to skip on the your heart. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, yeah. anybody well, I that's didn't ever, expect that one, Matt. <laughs> hey, you know, any, uh, as as a man of fitness himself, anybody could tell you when you're on bulk phases for for working out, Italian is a great cuisine for that. Exactly. Yeah, well, you know, I, I kind of and that was what I did. I kind of I made recipes that were a little healthier. You know, like with meatballs, I use lean ground turkey, ninety eight percent lean, uh, and. Uh, yeah. In a lot of, uh, I, I, you just got to buy the cookbook. You've just got, I don't want to give away yeah. my secret. Just got, you just got to go to the Amazon Kindle store and buy cooking with the king. I believe it's called you know, cooking that's king. not secrets of the suntan Superman. There you go. Matt, Matthew doesn't realize it, but he just, he just spurned the show here, by the way. Uh-oh. Yeah. I think Dan, you and I are going to talk about, I got an idea. I'm not going to share it with the audience yet, but. Out, but Matthew, thank you for this amazing idea. But you, you gave me a hell of an idea. Dan, when we get off the air, I was going to talk to you about his, this. His consulting you fee is 10%. You're doing a cookbook? No, I'll tell you what, what I'm going to do. What, I'll share with you now. What the fuck? Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll share it. I would love to do a, an entire episode dedicated to because i'm a diabetic and i'm being serious about this i'm being straight shoot serious i would love to do a whole show dedicated to healthy eating healthy cooking uh substituting certain meats for others you know turkey is a great sub for ground beef you know certainly a lot leaner than beef um there are there are foods that i love that i can you know i'm italian i love my bread and pasta you know that's like a you know that's like a bullet to a diabetic, you know. Right. But you know, I was weaning on this shit, you know. Did you ever have, uh, did you ever try Angel? Ever try uh, zucchini spirals instead of pasta? Yes. They they good. don't cut it for me, bro. <laughs> they they just don't cut it for me. It's not the same. It's really not the same. Um, I'll tell you what I what I do like though. In place of pasta, but it's a bit starchy. I like vermicelli and I like rice. Yeah, I I like I like. I don't like rice. I know I'm not. I, I eat rice sometimes. I'm not a big fan of rice. I like pasta and and I like uh, to make shells. I like to make stuffed shells. And the, the, the cookbook's not and all. I, and real. I love I love stuffed shells. I love stuffed shells. But the question is always to you know what to stuff it with because you know. Yeah, certain cheeses are not good for diabetics, and you know ricotta is high in fat, and but it's so fucking good, 
you know, that yeah. thing. I go crazy. See, when I make when I make stuffed shells, I, I have ricotta cheese at the bottom, and then I put the turkey meatball in the middle, and then mozzarella cheese oh, on top. You're killing me, brother! Stop! You're killing me here. Oh, uh, now I'm on. It wasn't like here's the thing with Brian and, and, and with Brian. I'm sure we talked about this on the show. So I want to say it was more the problem with Brian was he was eating a lot of real heavy fried foods and gravy and uh, oh. you know you know biscuits and sausage gravy and a lot of the, oh, the, yeah. the you know stuff like that. A lot of fried chicken stuff like that. So it wasn't like to, like you said when I did the book. This wasn't to be. Uh, you're going to love these meals. They're, they're not, they're, these aren't like super strict, healthy meals. They're, they're fun meals, but, but in a lot of cases we substitute certain things to make it healthier. You know, brother, I lived in Tennessee for 15 years. And I'm going to tell you what, I didn't eat anything that wasn't a gravy, a biscuit <laughs> or pork. I oh, came yeah. back to New Jersey. I was 227 pounds and I'm five foot three, by the way. And I'm I'm 181 right now, nice. and, and I'm complaining that I'm fat. So I guess compared to the 227, you know, I mean, I lean, you know, I I am after all, you know, part two of the uh, the suntan Superman, you know, and yeah, I'm rocking it. Shut up, Dan. You know, Dan, I I didn't say boy, anything. I won't bust your ass, boy. I'm gonna you gotta be my tag team partner. You could be I'm a telling you what. Man. Look at me, this. you and Barone. Right. Look, look at the gun. Okay, I got guns. How about a six-man tag with they're, me and Barone? They're, they're, if he shows up. they're BB <laughs> shooters, but they're fucking guns, baby. <laughs> well, you know, well, guys. Listen, you guys, I want to tell you what, Matthew. Thank you, brother. We're gonna. We're going to wrap this up here at the, just before nine o'clock. And uh, I, I definitely want to bring you back. You're scheduled for the 20th. You're still coming back on the 20th, right? I'm in. I'm in. I'll come back. Beautiful. Here the, uh, awesome. Excellent. Studios. Oh, yeah. Because I got to give you oh, the whole show. Nice. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. He's, He's got a nice. Go ahead and promote what you need to Dan and what's going on with the, in the world of Dan the man. Well, um, this week we've got two. Special episodes coming up. I've got a uh, ref's roundtable. I'm interviewing Irvin Legend. He's a Mid-Atlantic-based indie wrestler. And then uh, one of the special, a special broadcast of Wrestling with the Future, Jason and I, as Angela mentioned, did a candid interview with former WWE superstar Duke the Dumpster Drossy. That's also going up this week. Yep. And we've got a lot of good stuff coming up, uh, a lot of good shows, and I'm looking forward to uh, everything that comes on. Fabulous. We have a, a new segment we're adding to the show next week. In fact, it's called Cryptic Corner. We're going to uh, explore the area of Bigfoot, the Jersey Devil, Mothman, the Stinkman, um, Mole Man. Some people in Ohio talk about the Mole Man. We'll find out if this is real or mythical. We will talk about the uh, the elusive creatures and critters that it, that roam the highways and byways of North America. We will talk about the chupacabra. Is it real? Is it just a, a hairy dog? What is this thing? Uh, and then we will explore. We're going to go take the deep dive into Montauk Island. What's happening in Montauk Island off the coast of, uh, of uh, Long Island Sound? So... 
just a few things we're we're working on. Next week we have um, well, who we got next? Dan, who we got next week? Because I don't have my schedule in front of me, brother. Yeah, neither do I. Actually, it's on the desk. Um, oh, well, Thursday night we've got the the Meadowlands Monster, Lou Bruno. Mm-hmm. Um, got uh, Matthew Granahan coming back. Um, oh. On the 18th of August, a special show. Got to tell you about this. We're going to explore the myth of Jesse James. Did Jesse James survive his purported death? We have an author coming on named Daniel Lowe, who wrote the book, The Life, Death, and Life of Jesse James. We'll find out if the legendary outlaw Jesse James, in fact, lived past his purported death. That's going to be a good one. That's going. To, I know uh, uh, Jason was looking forward to that one. I, I'm yes. looking forward to that one. Matthew, you into that at all? Uh, uh, historical mysteries? Absolutely. There's so many of them that are out there. You mentioned you mentioned Jesse James, and uh, that's that's a fascinating history. And uh, what about DB Cooper? That's one that I've always been fascinated with. We're, you know what, Matthew? That's a great idea. We're going. We're actually two of them that, we're, that are on the docket. DB Cooper was one that we talked about, but now that you mentioned it, we can absolutely I, add that. Well, Angelo, you know who you need to get on the show if you're going to do DB Cooper. You got to get uh, the great uh, UFC legend Chael Sonnen on, because Chael claims to me that he his neighbor growing up it was db cooper and that you know matthew i've heard that story and i've actually seen a picture of the guy and i'm going to tell you something brother it is eerily remarkable how these two people if you overlap their photos they could be this the same guy Um, I'll tell you what, when we get off the air, or maybe even tomorrow, if you can, uh, shoot me uh, Chael's number. Uh, I will. You know, if you make the introduction, I, I love Chael Sonnen. I love his show. You're welcome. A great promo guy. And, you know, he's a great promo guy, and, and there's some other great promo guys. And he's a hell of a wrestling fan, too, Matthew. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let me tell you a little fan. story about uh, the, the great Chael Sonnen. When I was bringing uh, Phil Baroni into Global Championship Wrestling, uh, we, we we played a little 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 number on Chael's son and with Jeff Jarrett. We we put Phil ringside to harass Chael's son and while he was while he while he was on the mic in the ring, and Phil even jumped the rail and went after him. Now that was disappointing to me because I had a good relationship going there with Jeff Jarrett. It was actually originated through the great Billy Wicks because he was a big star in Tennessee. Yeah. And um, Jarrett made a lot of promises to us about that GCW promotion in Vegas back in uh, 2015 or so, and yeah. it just never materialized, never materialized. Well, you know, you know that was uh, fill out there a know. few times and, and, and he said he was going to get TV and, and, and then he, the next thing we know, he's on uh, TNA. Yeah, well, you know, the, the problem with Jeff is that he's got a, his, his heart is well placed, but his, um, his wallet is not. And yeah. if, daddy, if daddy says no, then it's no. Yeah. So, understand where, you know, who Jeff Jarrett is. He's Jerry Jarrett's son. 
Son, absolutely. Let's mm-hmm. never forget that, folks. Now, <laughs> stuff of all water wine oceans. I am so, Matt, I am so steeped in Tennessee wrestling, it's not even funny. Oh, me too. Did you watch the Memphis Heat um, documentary? Billy Wicks was featured in that. He gave me a copy yeah. of that. DVD. Yeah, well, I'm, I, you know, I'm probably one of the few people who know who Billy Wicks is on this show, yeah. anyway, because Dan yeah. is just He's a young, young pup. Dan's right? a little too young, but I'll I'm tell you guys, I'll tell you guys, Billy Wicks was like a, he was like a daddy to him, second daddy to me. He, he, uh, when I was in um, North Carolina, I started training at uh, his uh, gym that he had there. It was a, uh, his, he was an old carny. And it was all uh, it was all grapplers and uh, and that was at the uh, Asheville Barbell Club um, and uh, he, we hit it off so well we became we became uh, really close friends and that's he did the forward for the book I did with Eric Paulson I also did a DVD with him and with Frankie Kane called Tale of Two Carnies that's a classic if you can find it yes. I don't know if I have any I don't know if I still have any copies of that DVD but. Uh, well, brother, good... if it's if it's out there, I'll find it. <laughs> now, I, there's a, there's a joke going around. I want to ask you guys if you know sure. this joke that's been going around, and I'm going to kind of kind of ask you guys this before we head out. What's 245 pounds, dashingly handsome, and disappears in an instant? <laughs> that would be Matthew Granahan, the Granimal, the King of Connecticut. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's Dan, that was a hell of a show, brother. What a what a character. Oh, we also need to, to tell people we have a really, really unique show coming up. September 1st, and I want to tell people about this. It's going to be a very interesting show. Number one, it is the return of Vince Russo. Number two, Dan the Man will join me, most importantly. And number three, we will introduce people to a young man, a young man of 70 years old, named Stephen Plim. Stephen Plim was the manager and best friend of the legendary entertainer, Tiny Tim. Yes, that Tiny Tim tiptoed through the tulips, Tiny Tim. Dan, you will get a lesson uh, in Tiny Tim. You will get a a lesson in showbiz history. This guy has worked with everyone. He knows everybody, and they know him. Trust me, brother. This guy is a fascinating character. The book is called Tiny Tim and Mr. Plim. Got my copy uh, two days ago, and I haven't put it down yet. It's a great book. So, for Dan the Man Sebastiano, the happy haberdasher, I'm Angelo DeCipio. I dropped the psychic. I, I just, and I'll explain on another show why I'm doing that. It's a very personal thing to me and not a decision that I came to lightly. But nonetheless, Angelo DeCipio, I am. The beard's a little whiter. The skin's a little darker, but I'm still the same handsome guy. Look at me. <laughs> Shut up, Dan. Have a good night, you guys. Happy wrestling, everybody. Good Take night. Take care. Bye-bye.